0: This episode of Disease Du Jour is brought to you by equinevetedu.com, a free online educational platform for veterinarians from the AVMA PLIT and aquamanagement.com. Welcome to Aquamanagement's podcast, Disease Du Jour where each podcast will delve into the research and current best practices for a variety of equine health topics with industry experts. I'm your host, Kimberly Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. Today's guest is Dr. Tom Riddle. The son of a veterinarian, Riddle graduated from Wake Forest University in 1974 and the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine in 1978. He's an honorary member of the American College of Theriogenologists. After graduation, Dr. Riddle served an internship with Dr. Don Witherspoon at Leslie Combs Spinthrift Farm in Lexington, Kentucky, then worked another three years at Spinthrift. In 1982, Dr. Riddle joined Dr. Bill Rood to form Rude and Riddle Equine Hospital. In 1985, they purchased land on Georgetown Road and broke ground for their new hospital. Riddle has served as president of the Kentucky Association of Equine Practitioners, the Society for Theriogenology, And the Theriogenology Foundation. He received the Steiner Award for Excellence in the Practice of Theriogenology. Dr. Riddle was the first person to recognize and report the 2001 abortion outbreak that became known as mare reproductive loss syndrome. Clinically, Dr. Riddle has special interests in uterine culture and cytology, early twin management, fetal sexing, and diagnostic ultrasound of the mare's reproductive tract. This podcast will focus on breeding season procedures that Dr. Riddle has developed during his decades-long practice. So, Dr. Riddle, welcome, and thank you for joining us on Disease Du Jour. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Okay, let's start out today's discussion about the management of barren mares.
1: Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's proceed.
0: Okay, so early on, managing barren mares, probably the first consideration for a veterinarian is putting the mare under lights.
1: It is, it is, and I think that um, um, in the thoroughbred industry, we're hoping to breed the mares starting around the first or second week of February and going through the season from there. Um, So we like to put our mares here under lights December 1st. Um, I think that in other um, disciplines, other breeds, um, you need to ask yourself, When do I really want to start breeding? And put the mares under lights about 60 to 70 days in advance. If you don't want to breed until March, then you don't have to start a December one. Um, And mares are are seasonally anastrous for the most part. There's some mares that will cycle year-round. But for the most part, um, mares will go out of heat um, in the winter months and then start cycling back in in April. And uh, a long time ago, veterinarians found out that they can stimulate mares to cycle earlier if they put them under lights, uh, beginning um, about 60 days before they want them to be cycling regularly. The mares are very responsive to lights, and different programs have been tried But um, right now, um, I think that most people are very comfortable um, with 16 hours of daylight and 8 hours of darkness. Um, So most mirrors go under lights in the mornings, um, beginning about 7 o'clock, and they're going to be under natural light uh, during the daytime. And then after sundown, they're going to be in lighted stalls or paddocks until 11 p.m. Uh, Some uh, people are uh, putting mares under lights in a paddock. Some people are putting mask on a mare uh, that has uh, a light uh, that uh, works reasonably well. Uh, I think the challenge with those lighted mask is making sure that the mare wears the mask uh, and doesn't get it off, because we all have experiences with either uh, horses uh, getting halters off during the night or getting fly mask off during the night, so that can happen. Um, The other thing uh, with mares that are turned out versus in the stall is, um, while the light is the primary reason that they're going to cycle early, I think warmth is helpful, and um, years ago, um, I did a farm that had two barns uh, for their barren mares, and one barn was much better insulated than the other one, and uh, the mares in that barn cycled earlier um, and did better than the mares in the uh, barn that had uh, less insulation and so that was an unintentional experiment but uh it's one of those things that um, made me realize that um, warmth helps and uh, so i I think people need to keep that in mind mares can do fine if they're turned outside and either in a lighted paddock or with uh, the lighted mask but i think it's it's a little less than desirable most mares um, go through a time of transitional heat um, beginning December, January after their go under lights. And they're going to start to cycle, but their cycles, uh, their periods that they're in estrus or in heat may be long, they may not produce a a sizable follicle, um, and they may come and go with their heat and be very irregular. But generally, after about 60 to 75 days under lights, they're getting fairly regular. And then, um, ideally, I would like for the mare to have shown me that she can ovulate one time uh, before we um, breed her, and then we'll breed on our next heat. Um, I do use a reasonable amount of prostaglandin in my practice, and I prefer cloprostanol, the synthetic prostaglandin, primarily because (coughs) it works just as well, and it doesn't have the side effects that uh, the natural prostaglandin does, the PGF2-alpha. Mares, when you're giving them the PGF2-alpha, almost um, across the board will break out in a heavy sweat. Uh, Some of them will get a little colicky. Uh, Some of them even get a little incoordinated uh, if you get them out and move them. Um, With coprostanol, that very, very rarely happens. You may very occasionally see a mare that will break out in a light sweat, but that's about the extent of it. Most of the time they do have no side effects from it. Um, So we'll short cycle some mares that... Um, maybe we're waiting for that first ovulation and they ovulate, say, uh, in the thoroughbred industry, they would be ovulating maybe, uh, say, the first week of February. So before we really want to breed them, but we really, I hate sometimes to have to wait for that next natural heat. So we may uh, elect to short cycle them and give them cloprostenol. I use 250. I believe it's micrograms um 1 cc um and uh I'll give that 5 days after they ovulate and then they tend to cycle very well um those mirrors that we're going to short cycle um we always want to palp and ultrasound them on the day that we are planning to give the cloprostenol because um well, there's several factors uh, that you want to consider. You want to give it only to a mare that is healthy and um, is likely to um, cycle well after it. So you don't want to give it to a mare that has a lot of intrauterine fluid, certainly a lot of um, cloudy intrauterine fluid or hypercholic fluid. Um, you also um, want to make sure that the mare has a, a nice well-formed CL. Um, and that the uterus doesn't have any um, hypercholic material in it. Um, It could be anything from um, urinary sediment to uh, a retained endometrial cup. Um, You want to make sure that the mare is a good candidate to breed if she does come into heat, um, which she should. Uh, If she has a sizable follicle present along with the CL, uh, the mare may not um, cycle uh, as you would expect after cloprostenol. Um, if the follicle is 30 millimeters or greater in size, they um, will quite often ovulate very quickly. And um, so, on the average, mare given cloprostenol will um, check in two days, and usually will check to book five is what we always say. Um, If a mare has a a sizable follicle, though, we may check two, book three, uh, because they tend to ovulate very quickly when they have those large follicles. Um, So uh, that's another reason to always check the mare before you short cycle her. Um, You want to make sure that uh, you know if if there's any follicle on board, um, you want to be prepared to get her on the books. Um, and that will be true um, whether you're looking at uh, thoroughbred mares and you're booking natural cover to the stallion or you're um, breeding with another discipline um, with AI. Um, cultures and cytologies, I think, are, are always um, a good idea um, prior to breeding uh, a barren mare, um, and ideally, I would like to have at least one uh, clean culture and one normal cytology uh, once the mare starts to cycle. Um, it's, uh, we did a study some years ago and found that um, with the cytology, uh, we're, we're twice as likely to identify a problem in a mare as with a culture. And so um, I really rely on my cytologies I do them routinely every time I take a uterine culture, uh, except uh, in first-time maidens. And uh, I do it just from the the cap of my uh, collagen guarded culture tube. Um, And I'll I'll make a smear from that cap on a microscope slide, let it air dry, then take it back to the hospital and stain it with DiffQuick, and uh, try to identify signs of inflammation Uh, by looking at the slide. Um, We have to interpret the cytology carefully. Um, We have to interpret the culture carefully, and the cytology is a big help in deciding how significant that culture result is.
0: And let's talk a little bit about just what are some of your procedures with a a barren mare when you're going in to evaluate her using rectal palpation and ultrasound. Um, I know you've talked about mapping cysts when you find them in maiden.
1: Right. Um, mapping the cyst, uh, endometrial cyst, I think is 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 very helpful um, for one primary reason, and that's um, if you know where the cysts are prior to breeding the mare, when you do breed her and you're checking her for pregnancy, you're not confused when you look at a cyst, and is that a pregnancy or is that a cyst? Um, Most cysts are a little irregular, but sometimes they can look exactly like a pregnancy. And uh, no one is happy, certainly you're not, uh, as a veterinarian and the client's not happy, if you um, eliminate a pregnancy and save a cyst. Um, So uh, mapping the cyst um, is a big help in that regard. you have some mares that, um, when they conceive, the pregnancy um, quite often lodges next to a cyst. And if the mare tells you that she's losing the pregnancy because the the pregnancy lodged next to the cyst, then that's a time that I would say, yeah, we need to remove that cyst. Otherwise, for the most part, we live with cysts. Uh, most mares do fine with them, uh, whether the pregnancy lodges next to them or not. But on those that the pregnancy does lodge next to a cyst, and they do lose it, I think that's telling you oh, it's time to get that cyst out of there, and uh, we'll send it in and uh, have it lasered to eliminate it.
0: So, in these, just a, a normal barren mare, when you are are doing your examinations. Uh, You've mentioned that you'll use a speculum exam vaginally and that you'll also use uh, manual exams and ultrasound exams. So what are you looking for in each of these?
1: Well, um, with a speculum exam, uh, you can actually see the cervix, and you want to make sure that um, it's uh, a normal, healthy color. If they're out of heat, it should be fairly pale, Uh, When they're in heat, there's greater circulation to it, so it's going to be pink. If it's too pink, though, it may be an indication that it's inflamed. And you're also looking at the cervix to determine if there are any um, tears or adhesions. Uh, Sometimes you can identify those with a speculum exam, but the best way to evaluate a cervix for tears or adhesions is uh, a manual palpation of that cervix. So you clean the mirror up, um, you'll apply a sterile sleeve to yourself, uh, you'll go in and you'll palpate that cervix and uh, make sure that uh, it appears totally normal. Um, Sometimes you can put a speck in a mirror and the cervix looks very good and then you'll um, do a manual uh, palp of the cervix and you'll find that uh, there's significant tear. Um, And uh, generally, if the tear is less than 50% of the length of the cervix, um, we'll probably elect to not do anything but to be aware that that tear is there. If she fails to conceive or she conceives and then she loses it, and we know she has that um, tear that's less than 50%, then we're going to say this is her telling us now that we need to um, repair that cervix. If it's greater than 50% of the length of the cervix, I think you almost always want to go ahead and get that cervix repaired because the cervix is very important um, in conception, uh, keeping the um, uterus... Uh, clean and protected from uh, vaginal contamination, and uh, it's also very important in pregnancy maintenance. If the cervix doesn't totally seal well, then the mare is going to be subject to uh, an ascending endometritis or an ascending bacterial infection, and uh, if the bacteria gets there, then she's likely going to lose her pregnancy.
0: And when we were talking about follicles, one that I wasn't quite as familiar with is when you have blood in the follicle, the hemorrhagic follicles. Can you tell me a little more about that?
1: Um, yes. Um, if a follicle has little white flecks within that black fluid that you always see with the follicle, um, it is an indication that it may be either atretic or um, unhealthy, and uh, I try not to breed on those follicles. Um, If she has two follicles, one that is hemorrhagic, one that is not, then I'm going to concentrate on the one that is not, and we'll try to breed on it. Um, Just to keep it interesting, it's also possible uh, if a normal follicle approaches ovulation, it can become hemorrhagic, and so uh, you need to know the mare, know her cycle, and uh, know what she's doing to interpret the significance of the uh, hemorrhage.
0: And we'll, we'll bounce now a little bit to uh, the uterus itself, and, and two words that raise a lot of controversy sometimes, uterine edema. What do you do about that?
1: Um, uterine edema is a normal process for mares that are um, in heat. Um, as a mare comes into estrus or into heat, uh, the blood flow is increased to the uterus, and the tissue swells, um, and it's a normal process. It's uh, uh, something that they all should do, and um, generally, as a mare comes into heat, the edema starts off um, fairly minimally, and then it increases And uh, within about 24 hours of ovulating, uh, the uh, edema starts to decrease. Um, Not every time. Again, just to keep it interesting, some mares vary uh, what they do. But um, generally, there's a decrease in the edema prior to um, ovulating. Uh, Some people are concerned if a mare uh, maintains a lot of edema post ovulation. And uh, I personally don't think that's a problem. Um, I think that yes, it's, it's uh, not the norm. Normally, they're going to decrease the edema as they approach ovulation. And certainly after they ovulate, the edema is going to completely uh, dissipate. But uh, if it doesn't, It doesn't worry me too much. Uh, I think the mare still is likely to do fine. Um, What I would be more concerned about is, um, instead of the edema, is uh, the fluid in the uterus. Um, If there's intrauterine fluid, um, studies have shown if it's greater than a centimeter and a half uh, in depth, that uh, conception and maintenance are decreased. And so um, we're going to try to uh, prevent that fluid accumulation. Uh, Mares normally have very good um, contractions in their uterus. that eliminates the fluid, uh, but some mares have poor clearance. Generally, that develops with um, age or having had multiple foals. The uterus just doesn't work as well, and so they have may have some difficulty eliminating that fluid.
0: Okay, and let's talk a little bit about cervical relaxation as you're going through. You have a grade that you use for that.
1: Right. Um, I think there's no one uh, correct way to grade the cervix, but everybody should have some system that they can... Uh, keep in their records, and they can relate to their client, and their client knows what they're talking about. Uh, for me, um, I go with a, a one to four. Um, this, if the cervix is tight, um, it's a one. If it's completely relaxed, it's a four. And um, as a mare comes into heat, uh, the cervix should proceed to at least, a, say, a two and a half to a three when you're breeder. Um, The cervix is the entrance to the uterus from the vagina and um, you want the semen to be able to enter the uterus, of course. And so if her cervix isn't relaxing very well or still tight when you breed her, you may not get any semen into the uterus, so she may not be able to conceive. So the best way to evaluate the relaxation of the cervix is with a rectal palpation. Um, And it takes a little experience, but you can work with this. And uh, it's probably easiest to start off with mares that are not in heat and the cervix is tighter and it can sometimes feel almost cord-like. And then as it relaxes, it will tend to flatten out. And uh, so it's important to be able to evaluate the cervix when you're breeding a mare and uh, breed her when her cervix is relaxed enough for the semen to enter Uh, the uterus.
0: And you're a big proponent of making sure you have really good teasing records on these mares. So tell us a little about what you like for teasing.
1: You know, I I think that um, in in today's world, um, teasing is becoming um, less um, popular, but I do think it is uh, very helpful to the veterinarian to know um, what the mirror is doing with the teaser. Um, in today's world, uh, we're probably more dependent on our ultrasound. If there's good edema um, and there's a nice follicle and the cervix feels relaxed, and we're probably uh, inclined to uh, breed her regardless of what, the way she's teasing. But certainly in the thoroughbred industry where we're breeding natural cover, Um, that mare has to be receptive to the stallion. And uh, so the teaser is very important. There are some veterinarians that that feel that the act of teasing itself um, is helpful to the mare as far as coming into heat and uh, the release of oxytocin and eliminating fluid. I that's controversial in my mind. I'm not sure if that's really important, but I think that uh, what is important is, is knowing um, that, that physiologically uh, the mare is correct and um, her endocrine system, um, her estrogen levels are such that she is showing signs of being receptive to the stallion. Um, I think it's a, it's a good way to uh, reinforce your decision that it's time to breed the mare. And I think that uh, uh, some uh, farm managers who are usually the ones doing the teasing can be very helpful to you um, if they have a mare that they are teasing along and she has a sudden change in attitude uh, and appears to be more receptive, uh, that's a good time for that manager to tell you doc i think you need to check this mare today sometimes they'll be wrong sometimes they'll be right um, you, everybody needs to be aware of that but it can be really helpful in, in picking up that mare that uh, needs to be bred and uh, the farm managers is, is letting you know that you need to check her
0: and as you get close to breeding you know Ideally, where do you want these mares to be when either you're going to schedule for a cover or you're going to be ordering semen?
1: Um, Most mares will ovulate um, around a 35 to 40 millimeter follicle. Um, So I think that if you're uh, planning on ordering semen and the mare has about a 30 millimeter follicle, Um, you know that you're probably going to want to breed her in about two days. And so uh, that's a good time to book the mare if it's natural cover, or it's a good time to order semen and have it on the way. So follicles usually grow about five millimeters a day. And so if it's a 30 today, it's probably going to be a 35 tomorrow, and then 48 hours from now, it's probably going to be a 40. And uh, the mare should be uh, ready to be bred. You want everything to be right. You want the edema to be good. You want the cervix to be relaxed well. Um, but the follicle size and consistency, how uh, firm or relaxed it is, soft it is, um, is going to tell you how close she's getting to ovulation.
0: And you have mentioned before in discussions about the use of deloralin or HCG. When do you use those in these
1: mirrors? Um, I, uh, for years, uh, HCG was all we had, and uh, I think it works very well. Um, it not, it's not 100%. It's probably about 70 75% effective, um, and... You want the follicle to be um, at least 35 millimeters or greater in size to be responsive to the HCG. The mare will ovulate generally about 24 to 48 hours later. Uh, There's not quite as tight a window on ovulation with HCG as there is with Deslorellin. Deslorellin is effective with smaller follicles. It works on follicles that are maybe 30 millimeters in size. And sometimes you have to breed a mare that maybe isn't quite as good as you would like her, but this is when you can get to the stallion. This is when you have the semen available. And uh, I generally like to give either HCG or deslorelin uh, the day before we want to breed the mare and to have the mare set, set up so that she is likely going to ovulate within about six to eight hours um, after she's bred. That gives time for the, the sperm to capacitate um, and be ready to fertilize that egg uh, uh, once it has ovulated.
0: And whether you do a live cover or um, AI the mare, what is your post-breeding procedure for these mares?
1: Um, The average mare, um, we know, uh, doesn't need um, a post-breeding infusion of antibiotics. But um, I'm not smart enough to identify those mares that need a little extra help. And so I'm likely going to infuse all mares with an antibiotic um, post-breeding just to give them that added help. We know that every time a mare is bred or every time a mare is inseminated, inflammation is created and that inflammation is going to make the mare more susceptible to infection. And so because she, I know in most cases she's able to fight off that infection fine on her own, but I don't know which mares are maybe not quite as able to fight off that infection So I'm going to give her a little help by infusing a broad-spectrum antibiotic. Um, Other mares um, that have poor uterine clearance, um, we're going to be um, more concerned about the fluid accumulation after breeding, uh, if they're bred, and we know inflammation is created, and we know that there's a lot of fluid that is produced in the uterus. we may want to do a post-breeding lavage. And that is done, in my practice, um, (coughs) about four to eight hours after breeding. Um, Some people are uneasy about um, lavaging the mare after she's bred because you're thinking, gee, doc, you're, you're flushing all the sperm out of her. But that's a very reasonable concern, but it's not correct because All the sperm that is capable of fertilizing that egg is going to be deposited into the uterus and is going to make its way to the oviduct, which is outside the uterus. It's going to make its way there, and uh, usually within an hour and a half to two hours. Uh, So certainly by four hours uh, post-breeding, you can uh, lavage the uterus, flush it out, and uh, help the mare. Uh, not develop a post-breeding infection.
0: Well, we certainly appreciate um, you taking the time to spend with us today, Dr. Riddle, and, and for joining us on Equimanagement's Disease Du Jour. And we look forward to talking with you in the future.
1: All right, real good. Thank you very much. I enjoyed talking to you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you will join us for other equine health discussions on Equimanagement's Disease Du Jour. Thank you.